Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another episode of No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. This podcast is available in all the podcast apps. If you haven't subscribed, please do so, so you can get an alert every time I post a new episode. Please rate me as well. It helps others discover the podcast, and that keeps me sharing all the stories that I share with you. How are you doing, breathers? That's my name for all of you who are taking time to breathe and be in the present moment. I hope you've had a great weekend. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Dorothy Oko. And when I'm not doing my day job in communications, I facilitate a course at Google called Search Inside Yourself. Today's quote is a West African proverb. Until the lion tells the story, the hunter will always be the hero. My guest today is Muihaki Muraguri founder of Paukua House Limited, a storyhouse dedicated to showcasing and sharing positive stories from the continent, developed from an authentically African perspective to counter and change prevailing negative social stereotypes on Africa. Muihaki works emphatically at her chosen lifelong roles of bringing up three young Kenyans and being married to a successful entrepreneurial techie. Her superpower is weaving of words. For over two decades, Muihaki honed her skill in project delivery while working in the development arena across Sub-Saharan Africa. With a progressive career in public health, development, and philanthropy, Muihaki has delivered change in a myriad ways through institutions as diverse as AMREF, KCB Foundation, IDRC, and the Rockefeller Foundation. Throughout her career, advancement of Africa has always been at the core. I invite you to take a moment to fully arrive and settle down. Fully arriving is about coming to stillness, tuning in to the present moment. It's about allowing your breath to transition you from what you are doing to this present moment. This allows you to become still and check in on how you're feeling. So I'll invite you to just take a moment to be still and then breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. Breathing in through your nose and out through your nose. Another breath in through your nose and out through your nose. Now let your breath return to its normal rhythm. The goal of our mindfulness practice is simply to experience life as it unfolds in this present moment.
questions I ask every guest is, how was 2020 for you? What are the lessons that you learned? And how is it going right now? Thank you, Dorothy. It's really lovely to be here. Interesting, because usually I'm on the other side listening <laughs> to you have all these wonderful conversations on your podcast. So it's great to be here and with you in your lovely space. Oh my gosh. It's the house I want when I grew up. <laughs> Um, so 2020 was interesting in that it was the year that I learned that I need to get out of my head. Wow. <laughs> yes, on the No Head Podcast. On the No Head yes, Podcast. I needed to get out of my head. And the lesson came about because at the beginning of the year, I was not in a good place. And I was not in a good place because I had spent the majority of my career actually working in public health, working in disease surveillance, working in infectious diseases, working to help uh, transform how people uh, respond to daily things like washing hands or wearing gloves, right? So that was my work. And when the early reports started coming out of uh, Wuhan uh, in China in 2020 January, my radar was peaked because I knew that this is, this is abnormal. This uh, is reminiscent of how SARS started, how, how MERS started, and if wow. China can't handle this with all its resources, this is going to be big. So your bells were already ringing? My bells were ringing in January, yes, yeah. And what happened is that I fell into a bit of a dark hole because then I started trying to try and get as much information as I could, and there was no information. So it was, which public health experts do I follow? Which scientists do I start reading up on in terms of um, what's happening on Twitter? And I did that, I think, for about two, three months, such that by the time we got our first case in uh, March, March 13th, I remember. You remember the date so Yes, well. I remember the date because it's like, it was, it was interesting because two things happened. One, I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy. It was going to get to Kenya, and now it's here. <laughs> so that was one. But the second thing that it did is that I was like, okay, now that it's here, now I can start putting in place all the things that I know that we need to do as a family to try and stay safe. So I was one of those people who was ultra, you know. You went and bought all the sanitizers. I had bought them from the time that I had, eh, me, I was not late to the game. But the challenge was, is that um, we still didn't know how this was going to play out in our reality. We could see what was happening in Italy, and of course, you know, conventional wisdom was like, if those guys can't handle it, it's going to be worse here. So I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and a situation where I was very frustrated because there wasn't anything that I could do um, because I was no longer working in public health and I felt I have all right. this knowledge. What am I supposed to do with it? So I got into some working groups, was, you know, trying to do what I could in terms of sharing my own expertise. Eventually, got out of it as the information of how is it playing out in our reality started to become clear. So I would say that by about June, I had my head together again. Right. But the reason why I said that um, the lesson was getting out of my own head was because what happened is that I let my anxiety of what could happen take over what was happening and I lost time which as we all know, is not recoverable. So it was, I lost time working with my team, I lost time focusing on my family, I lost time just to the fact that I was I was so worried about the future that I wasn't living in the present. The exactly, yes. 
And that's what yes. most of us do. We yeah. are all yeah. in the future, yeah. but not living the present exactly. moment. So by the time I, you know, sort of reoriented my thinking by media, I was in a place where I said, okay, we now know how this is playing out in Kenya. And there was a fantastic study actually that was done by Kemi that came out that month on blood sampling. They were now doing seroprevalence studies to see how many people who were donating blood actually had antibodies for, um, for, for COVID, which shows that they had been exposed. Right. And the numbers were very comforting to me because it showed that a lot of people actually had been infected. Yes, a lot of people had been infected, but our levels were that it was 92% of people, no, by then it was about, I would say about 85% of people were asymptomatic and that this thing was growing at an alarming rate yes but we were not in that category of populations where we were uh, affected in terms of either deaths high mortalities and, and, and that sort of thing so it stopped being you know this fear of the apocalypse mm -hmm. <laughs> and more of okay so we're gonna we're gonna get through this yeah so i got out of my head eventually and started living in the present mm -hmm. and it was about how do I help my children? How do I reorient my space? Because we're all working and living and uh, standing out of home. Right. Right. <laughs> and how do we be productive in this reality of yeah, living in a very unusual circumstance? But many people thought it was going to be just one shot, you know, two months and it would be over. But you knew it wasn't going to be. Yeah, I remember actually having a conversation with my brother-in-law he called me during the April holidays, the school holidays, and he said, I need to understand how long do you think this thing is going to play out? And the reason he was asking is because he runs a school. And I told him, it's not going away anytime soon. You need to figure out if third term is going to come and go and you're still not back in school, what do you have in place? to keep your teachers going, your learners going, because right. it's not going away anytime soon. And he asked me the question three times over. Like, no, you're being, I, I think that you're overreacting. I think that, you know, you're thinking right. too far. And unfortunately, it, it, it came you're to right. pass. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because they, they, they shut down the schools in March, which was, which was good. Um, but we were still not getting, it took us a long time to get the information that anybody in a position of responsibility needed in order to make the most prudent decisions for the right. most people right and that's what public health is, is all about in fact the the biggest challenge of public health is that we're never credited for the win if you're successful it shows it plays out in that you don't have people who are sick you don't have mass deaths mm. um, but if you didn't make the right decision then you would <laughs> right. unfortunately have all of that so and it's and it's been a tightrope that I think a lot of clinical people are are, are walking because uh, the the efforts that were made and much as they were drastic and they were difficult, they've been borne out in us being able to understand what the pandemic looks like in our Kenyan reality, mm. and now we can make the decisions having that information because the way it was playing out in Italy, the way that is currently playing out in the UK, very different from the Kenyan reality. They have a different mm. demographic. They have um, different um, health backgrounds, right? So there's no way that we can take their lessons and apply it to us. But now we have 
nine months of data that can help us make the decisions that we as a country need to make. So if you look at 2021 with the lessons we've learned with all the data that we have, how do you see this playing out in our, even in our country right now? I think that a couple of things have been interesting in terms of the direction. One, I really feel like we wasted the crisis. And I say that because we now have children who have gone back to school. Schools which still have no hand washing stations. Yes, I've seen they don't that. have water. They don't have a pollution blocks. Mm. And one of the things that came out in terms of the data last year was that we had such a significant drop in what we call coma, the common cold, upper respiratory infections. Why? Because we were all so vigilant about staying clean. Exactly. We right. didn't have a cholera outbreak last year. And there were no colds. In fact, someone reminded yes. me, when was the last cold? And I was yes. like, actually, come to think Because the basic public health activities that ward off from these things were all enforced and vigilantly adhered to. So even in the informal settlements, we saw, okay, granted, there was a lot of politicians putting up washing stations and you're wondering, where have you been all this time? But they had access to water, which they never had. So in that sense, I feel like we had a situation where we could have done better mm. with the crisis. We should have had schools putting in tanks, right, to collect and harvest rainwater. We should have done a lot of things. But as we look forward, my hope, is that in 2021, because we now know that changing the public health attitudes of the average Kenyan is possible, that we will not reverse some of those gains in terms of basic sanitation measures. That has been my prayer as well, that we keep that, we keep those lessons yeah. there because then we'll be a healthier nation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Changing now to what you do, you are the founder of Paukwa. I am Kenyan, I know what Paukwa is. The listeners who don't know Paukwa. Paukwa? Pakawa. <laughs> explain, <laughs> explain the genesis of your organization, what it means, and then we'll talk about storytelling. Paukwa is a Swahili word that is the call of a storyteller. It doesn't have a direct translation because it really is almost synonymous with things like once upon a time, mm. right? It is a thing that you know People say when a story is about to start. Right. In Lua we say Chandilala and then people uh -huh. know that now you're starting a story. Yes, yes, yes. And in Kikui we say Guata and mm. then yeah. Right. So that sort of back and forth call, they were like I was saying, Paukwa, Pakawa, Sahani, Yamchele, Giza, Yamwizi, right? And by the time all of that has been said, you know, you see people settling down because they know that a story is about to come. So the name of the organization is very symbolic for us because we are a proudly Kenyan institution and we're all about stories. So we feel that our name really embodies that. It is a Swahili word and it is a Swahili word that is all about an invitation to stories. And the reason I love that is because I work for a company that is actually passionate about local stories, about local relevant stories. And so a lot of times I feel terrible when I look and I'm like, where are our people? Why aren't we telling our stories? And we have lots of stories to tell. I'm wondering how that looks like for you right now, you know, in terms of what Paoko has done, you know, in terms of just telling our stories. What were the challenges of getting to tell the stories? 
So we put together uh, what I call micro stories. I don't know why I make them smaller than they are, but anyhow. <laughs> micro right. stories because literally it takes uh, between three and five minutes to read a story. And we started in 2016. No, we started in 2017. That was when the first stories actually started going out. We started mm. around 2016, 2017. And started by just collecting positive stories around me. So I was, at the beginning, I was, you know, like the only writer because it wasn't a business that I was going to set up. It was a dream that I was trying to fulfill. And the dream was to see the kind of positive stories I felt were missing in my everyday experience. I'm one of those people, I'm guilty, and I know I shouldn't, but I'm guilty of not watching the news because it's so depressing. That makes both of us. Yeah, I'm just mm. like, really? Is this, is this all we are? Is this who we are? Is this... And I found that it was often the news and mainstream media. It's a race to the bottom. And I just didn't need that to fill my spirit. Yet, when I would talk to people, I would hear all these amazing stories of what people are doing. But what was that? Usually in mainstream media, it's a feature. It's not, it's not the thing that you focus on. It's the, it's the filler news, right? Um, and so I started by writing positive stories in a sense to try and build a repository where as a Kenyan you can go and find out about stories of our past, stories of Kenyan people, stories of projects, history, whatever it is that will make you feel good about being Kenyan. Not right. so that was so that was the idea behind Punk when we've been at it since then and we now have about 700 stories on our websites wow. and we curate them in different story collections mm -hmm. for instance currently we're just winding up a collection around uh, historical heroes which we do in partnership with uh, Shuja Story. What's a wonderful collaboration! I know, I know, but it's that thing of okay so yes I knew about Rwanda Magere but how come I never knew that Gomahia was a hero. Yeah, that's what how can I be a 40-something year old Kenyan and mm. I don't know that? How do I not know the story of Shirume the Dancing Warrior? Yet, you tell me about Tony Stark and I can tell you, yeah, that Iron Man guy. So, right. it really is about challenging what we know about ourselves, mm. yeah? And mm. trying to, in a, in a hopefully factual and, and um, in an authentic way, trying to rebuild the narratives that can, can build us. So, other story collections have included um, Kenyans in the diaspora, so Kenyans who are making us proud abroad. Mm -hmm. Kenyan artists, right? right. Um, you know, also to show that you can be anything that you want to be, so long as you do things with passion right. and, with, and with fortitude and with, and with grit, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, you and I grew up in a, in a in a time where you want to be an artist, so that you can just right. yes. smoking bang and having dreadlocks every day, and you know, there was right. you know sort of connotations about what an artist is. We've written about health workers. Again, showing the whole gamut of health workers are more than doctors and nurses. They are nutritionists, they are counselors, they are physiotherapists, they are mental health advocates. There are so many people who make sure that our health is, and you can be, as a young Kenyan, any one of these things. We've done history collections about um, houses of faith in this country. We're very uh, multicultural and, and um, we, celebrate many different things in, in, in Kenya. Do we take the time to actually know about them? So do you know about the Makindu Temple? Mm. There's the Sikh Temple. Offers um, a free accommodation to exactly. travelers. Exactly, to anyone. Yes, right. Yeah, for up to three days. Mm. Do you know about 
the oldest working church in Kenya, which was mm. established. Little, yes. The oldest working church in Malindi, built in 1452 by the Portuguese. Wow. It's called Saint Francis. It's called Saint Xavier Church, and it's part of the Catholic Diocese of Malindi. And it is still, it's a small chapel, small adobe chapel, but it's still in use. Which again, a lot of people think about. Oh, but Christianity was brought by the British. It was here 400 years before the first Brit ever landed. The Portuguese had <laughs> The been. Portuguese, right? Yeah. Right. We have the oldest um, mosque, is mm. the Congo Mosque in, in Kwale, right? So mm. again, celebrating, we have a history that's much older than, than the history that we're taught in our books when we go to school. And we have to understand, or at least as I have come to, to understand, that the history that we are taught serves a certain interest. Mm. Before it was the colonial interest, then when we got independence, it started serving another interest. But does that really encapsulate everything that we are? And that is the thing Question. which really excites right. me. Whenever we start unraveling these little threads, mm. like every Jamburi day for that week, mm. we celebrate um, Kenyan heroes that are unknown and who were pivotal in the struggle. And in the last Jamburi day, we, we did um, stories of um, G. Vidyarti, and um, Gakao and Jao were two sides of an interesting coin. Vidyati used to run a press and printing works and he used to print what was then called, in quotes, seditious material because it was a lot of uh, freedom pamphlets, pro Mau Mau, and even just uh, stories from both Indians, Asians, Africans who were talking about the struggle. And this is all the time from the 1930s, mm. 40s. Gakara Wanjao, on the other hand, was one of these writers who, without the Vidyartis, would not be able to get his message into the hands of so many people. And his, and his um, works went as far as Tanzania, so people mm -hmm. reading them in Tanzania. He printed, he came up with, um, not, not came up with, he was a curator for a lot of Mau Mau hymns, right? And that story just tickled me so much because apparently they used to write these freedom songs to the tune of well-known hymns. <laughs> so the colonial man is hearing onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. Kumbe, it's a message of where people need to meet that day and where things, guns and arms will be handed out and how Love you it. can support the struggle. <laughs> Love it. So again, the role of artists, the role of printers, mm. the role of writers, yeah, so that it is not just the people who went to the forest, even though we do highlight those who were instrumental in beating the drum mm. for independence, right? They were the Twitter of back then. They right. were the influencers <laughs> of right. back then. Yes. So these are the stories that we try to bring to the fore so that we as a people can have a more expanded understanding of who we are and more importantly, how we got here and who sacrificed in order for us to live the lives that we want to Wow, how noble, and yet I feel, even as you, as you share this, that we are a long way. Maybe I'm being pessimistic, but I feel like, you know what you're saying about challenging what we know about ourselves, and I'm wondering, what do we know about ourselves? Because what we studied in school serves a particular era, ruler, whatever it is. So when you and I were in school, they probably served more or less the you know, what the history books written by the colonial masters were, and then we came to the Nyayo era where it's a whole different thing. 
But what do we know about ourselves? Sometimes I feel as, a, as Kenyans, what do we know about ourselves? As Africans, what's our story? We don't know enough. We've not taken the time to know. And I think it's because of a couple of reasons. One is we, as we know, we come from an oral historical background. And once that was taken away from us with the transition into formal education, we lost tones and tones of our history because we no longer had those moments around the fire. The second thing is that there was a serious fracture that happened to us and the people from, I would say, probably as far back as the 1930s all the way up until the 70s, so post-independence. And that fracture was, you as an African are not enough. You as an African must aspire to white man's fates, exactly. which, which plays out in a lot of our current <laughs> realities. Absolutely. Yeah? We still have the divisions, except instead of white and black, it is now money and no money. But the way that people were treated because of their skin color 50 years ago is the way that poor people are treated today because of their lack of resources. So the fracture happened and we never really have taken the time to overcome that because it's, it's hard. The third thing is like I said, the intentional shaping of history. We have a saying that is really the sort of crucible of our work, and that is, until the tale of the hunt is told by the lion, the story will always glorify the hunter. hunter. Right? Right. And so the question that we have is, so if these are the stories that we've grown up hearing, are these the lion stories? Are they the hunter stories? Because it can't be both. Let's just be honest. It can't. It can't be both. So we need to start interrogating our history a bit more rigorously, right? And uncovering some of these threads which are less front and forward mm -hmm. than we would than we would like. You know. Again, going but back. Who is who is we? Because I feel like that is the role of education or of government but then that's ascribing to government such an important <laughs> role of, it is, because it they is. also have an interest in the stories they want us to believe absolutely absolutely so how do we how do we claim that back in a, a, you know um in our families in how do we shape that 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 story mm. in a way that makes us as a people stronger that drives our own agenda yeah I think that all of us have a place to play, and by all of us, I mean both systemic actors and individuals. Let me start with um, the former. So you talked about education and government. Yes, I think that education and government needs to have a place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the questions that I would that I would ask is, how often do we look at our textbooks and say that actually this is what we want to our children to learn as an education system? Yeah, and who is funding our education system? I opened my <laughs> my kids' atlas, the primary atlas of 2019, and I almost lost my mind because um, it had a little bit of history in terms of historical atlases of Africa. And yet the historical atlases of Africa that they chose to use is showed the the colonial aspects of Africa. That was the first one that they chose to use. Where was Timbuktu, Songhai, Mali, Ethiopia? All these kingdoms that we knew existed long before 
we had anybody from off the continent come right. here, right. right? But if we say that our history started when Europeans arrived, and that is what you're teaching and you'll be enforcing in 2020, then there's a problem. So that's the education system, and I think we have a lot of work to do there. The second is, yes, I think the government has a role. You remember um, there was Vision 2030 that came out. Vision 30 was in, uh, Vision 2030 was instrumental in that it had three pillars to it. It had an economic pillar. It had I think was it called a financial or something um, mm. infrastructure and all of that. Yeah. And then it had a social pillar. And the social pillar was things like education, health, soft stuff, you know, national cohesion mm. and everything. And the last two governments, administrations, have been very focused on the first two, but no one has cracked the third. And yet, the third is the thing upon which everything else rests. Mm -hmm. And the other day I saw um, a picture of a, a newly built road that had the Mabati guardrails taken off, and somebody was like, please, please can we just leave the roads as they are? And my thing was, my gosh, we're stealing from ourselves. By the time you've taken the Mabati off the guardrail, it means that essentially what you're saying is that it's okay for a Matatu or another car to hit and go over. So long as I can take the guardrail and go sell that Mabati. But what would that have been addressed by? Because you've spent all that money on your infrastructure. If I as a Kenyan don't believe that Iomali Niang, right. again, the social pillar, then I will feel nothing about stealing it because right. because we do not have this relationship between us and a public good. The idea of a public good, that a public good serves me. And that's a big problem we have, isn't it? It is. Yes. And that's all under the social pillar. Right now we're seeing drumbeats of divisions between different ethnic communities. And that's all what? The social pillar. When mm. I grew up, and I'm a Nairobi girl, we did not have divisions around Tribe. Absolutely, wherever we say the fact, the thing that we used to laugh about the most was cucumbers. Yeah, mm. I'm a kikuyu and a cucumber, <laughs> right? Yeah, but you will find a lot of city kids. They don't speak yeah, their yes. their ancestral mother tongue, right. right? They know shanks as a place we go and live. But today, I will not get a job because my name is Mihaki. Because people will be like, ah, you kikuyu. Yeah, we know. Because what we've neglected to address the social pillar of who we are as a Kenyan identity. And the Kenyan identity is more than a dress that we wear. It's something that we're all pulling together towards and we will fight to the death. The same way that KOT fights to the death on right. Twitter right. when you talk badly about Kenya. How are we not that way as a people? And that is part of the challenge that we at Bongo are trying to address. That mm. One of the things that make us intrinsically Kenyan that you cannot separate right. from my identity. In fact, there's a, <laughs> a story series, I can't even call it a story series because there's no stories, it's just photos. Mm. But it's a campaign that we call Fundamentals. These are the Fundamentals. Yes. And the Fundamentals of being a Kenyan are things as diverse as Juakali, that we know what that means, that we know what, when you say Dawa, it doesn't right. necessarily mean medicine, it could also mean that cup of hot water and ginger. You know, exactly. right. It is things like butter bullets. It is things like uh, mahindi akutroma and soda na loaf. Because it, you will see that in a foreign country and you will immediately know, ah, those are my people. Or they will say something in a certain way and you're like, those are Kenyans. And that's our identity. But for some reason we have a national 
government that's looking so hard, searching so hard to see what are the things that we can build this Kenyan identity mm. about. They exist. They, they, they do, yes. When Kim Jong runs, it's all of us. And we feel it. Yes. We are united. What's our identity? And I think I've wrestled with that question. What's our identity as a people? Because I think that sometimes it's it's not there. And so Paukwa, I see Paukwa as telling this, those stories that make us rise up to what we are as Kenyans. How has that journey, do you see in your are you seeing the needle tilt a bit? Are people sort of, you know, and I know you work with many young people. Are, are you seeing their curiosity aroused by, oh my, Shirokadaime, oh my, there's, there's a story about what is your experience? It's been positive. Mm. That's the most wonderful thing. So we, so we post the story daily on social media. Mm. And the interesting thing is that, um, I mean, no social media is that talks right. about this. Right. People can follow you at Paukwa. P-A-U-K-W-A. Yes, thank right. you. However, we have found that because the content that we put out is positive, 95% of the feedback and engagement that we get is positive as well. So there's 5%, of course, you know, there's always that person who's angry about something, which is fine. Right. But it is not a place where it is a race to the bottom, and that has been very um, intentional. We get comments like, oh my gosh, why didn't I know this? How can I be a grown-up and I don't know about this about my own country? Mm. We've seen a lot of ownership. We did um, a series around the counties of Kenya. And we did it almost like we were doing a safari, so oh, Lewis County right. 1, Mombasa, tomorrow was County 2. Um, and by the time that picked up momentum, you would see in the comments guys being like, come, 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 Kujini, my county, wait until you reach Makweni, wait until you reach Vihiga. You right. guys haven't seen, I mean, people are proud, right. right? So you give them a reason to feel connected or to take pride in something which is their own. We have gotten, and this is why we are on social media, we have mm. gotten so much feedback in terms of things that we did not know, which would only be known by people who are from that area. And they are the ones who are now filling in a lot of the gaps about what you need to know. So I think that there's hope in terms of turning the needle. We are far from it. And the main reason we're far from it is because we are not intentional as a nation, as a system around turning that right. needle. Yeah? We know that we are a country that is enamored by politics. However, it, it, it becomes a, a, a vicious cycle instead of a virtuous one, right? Because we're enamored by politics, you see that our newspapers do nothing but politics every day, and then we get more riled up by politics, and then we start fighting about politics, and then and then the papers report that the people are fighting about. I'm like, where does it break? I remember, you remember Peter Tabichi, who won Teacher of the Year yes. in 2019. Right. The next day, like, kid you not, Dorothy, because you can go to the papers and actually look. He was not front page news in either the Nation or the Standard. In Dubai, that Emirate where he was awarded, he was front page news. For us, front page news was the same drama of right. exactly. So if we are not intentional about rewriting what we want our story to be, there's no way that it will be rewritten. One of the again most poignant moments I had in as I was transitioning and thinking, what do I want to do? Uh, it will take on my second chapter <laughs> was public health. I think it was 2017, and you will probably remember this story, but um, there was a heist in Ika, and it was these young guys, graduates, all mm -hmm. three, I think two were brothers, and I 
can't remember the other one was a friend or a cousin and two of them i think were engineering students graduates they were basically they had gotten decent degree and they had dug a tunnel they had leased a bookshop and then proceeded to dig a tunnel to the vault of the bank behind in the, in the building behind and they made away with the money and then unfortunately one of their girlfriends was busy on instagram showering herself with all the cash and that's how they were caught anyhow i remember uh the father of the two young men being interviewed by one of our tv stations and he was being asked is it you're not ashamed of your sons who with their degrees went and used their degrees to rob a bank and he looked at the interviewer and said how can i be ashamed of all they see every day is people stealing money in government. Those are the people they want to be like. Those are the people who have shown them the way. So who am I? How do I tell them that this is something is wrong? Because they see it every single day. And you know what? I had I was like, Mister, has not lied. Because what have we glorified? It's money, and, money. and that's that. Exactly. People just care that you have it. And that hero worship yeah. of those who have money, for me, it's that's where we're losing it yeah. as a people. You can be a billionaire in this country or a multi-millionaire and have no factory, no known job, no one no no, right. no residence for your office. You're a tender premium. Exactly. You have a Prado bodyguards and suitcases. And we don't question that. We think that it's okay. So of course, what will our young people think? I mean, those are the stories that we tell them is the way to be, right? right. We don't tell them that actually it took me 25 years to reach where I am and I'm still on the journey and that's okay. So if that's what we glorify, that's the seed that we both plant. There's another famous, well, maybe not famous, but, but enduring quote that I love and was by a guy called Edmund Burke who said sometime in the 18th century and he said, Tell me what are the prevailing thoughts of your young people today and I'm going to show you what the future holds. So if the story we tell them is what we need, then we imagine. Because those are the stories that were seeded in the 90s. If you think about when this idea came up about mm -hmm. um, you know, corruption during uh, Moy's days mm -hmm. and the henchmen that he had who became billionaires overnight, but because they were connected, it was okay. That was what we were seeing when people were 19, 20 years old. Those are the people in their 40s today who are now in positions of power, who of course are just doing what they say. What are the stories that we still need to tell? And for me, I think that's why I have the No Head Podcast. It's a way of telling people stories about life that make them reflect on who they want to be. What would be your, your word for each person who's listening? <laughs> you, might not, uh, you might not like my answer because yes, we started you know, dealing with young, young people and over time we've realized we, we need to go younger and younger and younger. It took us 30 years to get where we are now. If we want to change the narrative, we need to start working with children and right. help them see a different version of what their future could potentially are. Now I want to go back to teaching. And so what we've done is that much as we have um, focus stories on our website, on our social media, what we've done now is that we're repurposing those stories for a younger and younger audience. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, mm -hmm. we we did this thing called um, the Albanian, alphabet. Yes, our Kenyan alphabet. Mm -hmm. And what we did is that we sat with uh, children. We actually went to the Mpesa Foundation Academy okay. because that is probably the only school in Kenya 
that has both girls and boys from all 47 counties. Because you know most of our secondary schools which have that level of representation, national representation, are single-sex schools. Right. So we start with these kids in Form 1 and we ask them, well, we put them in groups from different parts of the country. Oh, is that how the alphabet came That's out? That's how the alphabet came oh, out. I and we know, asked them. You didn't tell me that. We, we, we workshopped this thing. I just give you my feedback. I know, but <laughs> it actually came from a human oh, right. side. And we asked these kids in these, in, these, in these groups. So we put all these young teenagers in groups representing different parts of the country. We gave them each um, a reference letter and said, you work on this letter. Come up with a one, two, and three syllable version of a, a word which you can explain to the five-year-old in your life. Let me give you the <laughs> an example of the team that was working on the letter G. So two-syllable word, uh, there's a girl from Meru who's like Gambut, obvious. But there was a boy from Kwale in her group mm. who said, me, I can't explain what a Gambut is to the five-year-old in your life. Because yes. guys of Kwale, it's don't hot. do gambuts. No, they don't do gambuts. It's hot. Yes. They're crazy. Patapatas and you know. Yeah. So, so what did you say for G? So eventually G became goat. Which doesn't matter. All, they all where understood. You are. They all understood what a goat is. And so we went word for word going through what is this? What is what are the reference letters that we can use? That will make sense beyond because we grew up with and until now I still see even in exercise books. B for bear. F for fox. Huh? <laughs> and all these things which are completely foreign to us, which yes. also interrupts literacy. So A for apple, B for bear, C for that, you know, mm. but I'm not actually understanding. Yeah, so we did that. And then we said, this alphabet has to represent four things. One, things which are intrinsically Kenyan. You will know that this is a Kenyan alphabet because of. Number two, things which are African. So across the continent, these are the things that reflect us. Number three, we also recognize that we are part of the human race, so things which are universal. And number four, we had a citizenship agenda. For things which are truly Kenyan, Boda Boda and Matatu, which I right. really do not agree with. I say that, right. English is a moral language. Mm -hmm. If we have banana, which was Wolof, and traffic, which was uh, Arabic, and entrepreneur, which was once upon a time French, can we not also give Ugali and Matatu and Boda Boda. Right. There's things which are... African. Please tell me this has been adopted in schools. Hold on. Elephants and hyenas and things which you will find on this continent. Three, things like F for flower and S for sun, R for room. Doesn't matter where you are. And then you tested this in other... So yes. from here you tested yes. it in other schools. And then fourth, the citizenship agenda. K must be for Kenya. Mm -hmm. N is for Nairobi. I mean, really, how do you get people to, mm -hmm. you know, why is it that we all know about Washington DC and New York and London? Because somebody has been intentional about putting a right. fork on that. So we did that and um, we've been disseminating it in schools. And the funny thing is the biggest pushback that we got was on three words. Boda Boda, <laughs> I am so glad I'm not the only one. You're not the only one, but the pushback uh, came from who? From teachers. Yes, but exactly. Yes, from teachers. It's from teachers. And yes. so that now, I was like, I love this. Yes, because it means that. Yeah, me? I'm like because mm. teachers teach to a curriculum. We deliver the curriculum. In fact, you will see that a lot of schools are like, we cannot. We have to open because we have to finish the curriculum. Right. Okay. This, I guess it because we are an exam-oriented system. Right. Yes. Right. So for me, the thing was so. It was an opportunity to open up the conversation of 
why can't it be implemented? Because here we are saying we now have a new system where it's about critical thinking and competency-based learning, but the way that we teach doesn't actually encourage that. Mm. It says you cannot bring the thing which is intrinsically you. We mm. have to no, we have this there's a right way and there's a wrong way, right? As opposed to why do you think that? And I think that that's the conversation that we need to have. So from the alphabet, then we went to starting to repurpose our stories for for kids. Mm -hmm. So now we have um, the Pope People series. Um, so stories of ordinary Kenyans. You know, like we've been talking about art today. So Patrick right. Mukabi is one of our stories. Right. And what we've done is that we've, we have a little cartoon called Hummingbird Tales. And Hummingbird Tales is about ordinary Kenyans just by showing up and doing them mm -hmm. are actually doing extraordinary things. So it'll have people like a basculet, right? Mm -hmm. Who led the Red Cross, actually worked for the Red Cross for decades. Mm -hmm. It'll have people like Kaka Mwasa, who's uh, a Mabarian who has really transformed his community. Mm -hmm. So we have all sorts of stories of, like I say, ordinary people who you'll never read about in the papers, but who are more instrumental in building our Kenya than probably anybody who read about. Or the positive aspects of what we are. So, we are hoping that now that those stories, the hummingbird tales, so we have that on, on YouTube, and then we also have, we're now producing those stories now in written format, written for children, so that they will grow up knowing that, hiya, I can be an artist, I can be a social worker, I can be a, a driver, I can be so many things, and be successful and impactful in those things, apart from, you know, Five, <laughs> the five professions we all say you must be a lawyer, you must be a doctor, a doctor, you must be an engineer, you must be an architect. Mm. In fact, now, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to not just put out our stories in the domain of you know youth and adults, but we're trying to give young Kenyans stories that they can grow up believing, just like Shuja's stories, right? know about my heroes, mm. about my everyday people, that even took a valley. I've come from somewhere. Right. And I don't have to only think about things which are important. There are things which are homegrown, right. which are good. And that, I think, right. is the narrative that we're trying to work on. So last year, so we're really, really excited. We're all set to go and roll this out in schools. We have done a partnership with a, a large school system in, in Kenya. And then Corona. So that sort of, you know, stopped that. So what happened is that we really focused 2020 on production and just coming up with the animations, coming up with new videos, coming up with new stories. And we're hoping now that we can be creative in 2021 about how to infuse this. Whether it's retail, as in us talking directly to parents, or through churches, or through mosques, or whatever it is. Right. That are you having conversations about, are you, when you're looking for examples to teach, you can use these examples. And then hopefully we can start getting back into schools because unfortunately a lot of schools are like, we've lost time with the curriculum. Right. The social pillar, this is the curriculum, this is, and all the stories that we, that we curate and, mm. and distribute are actually around what would ideally be a social studies curriculum. So that when you're talking about heroes, and the funny thing is that even my own children, when they did hero Kenyan heroes in Kenya, everyone in their class was either doing Wangari Mathai or Those are the only ones that, that oh, can they can download. Use? There's an app, the yes. Google Arts and Culture. Yes. 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 On so now with with Shuja stories and with others, right. like there's a whole, you know, a gamut of both right. of, of heroes from our historical past. But that our curriculum doesn't. That, that our curriculum doesn't teach. So our idea is that education is not education is being able to
grow up having the tools that you need to effectively navigate your world. Whether it's through art, whether it's through writing, mm. whether it's through critical thought, you are not educated because you have a certificate. Mm. You're not. And you, I know, have sat in hiring positions where you get people with fantastic certificates and zero education. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you are educated when you are able to critically think about how you effectively navigate mm. through your world, whether it is through providing solutions, implementing solutions, asking questions. That is what is going to carry us forward as a nation. Until then, we're just going to be stuck on the hamster wheel, if you ask me. I know at No Head Podcast, we talk about navigating life together, and you've just talked about how we help our people to be able to navigate their world. How does Wehaki navigate her world? What are the things that help you navigate this world? <laughs> Did you just turn it back on me? <laughs> I don't like <laughs> I think one, one of the, the things that happened in my 40s is that I realized that I need less than I thought in order to navigate the world. I actually have all that I need. Skills, competencies, ideas, um, networks, people in order to live a successful life. I have them. And I think that uh, the recognition probably came to the fore in leaving employment, right? You know, being 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 employed um, also gives you things like an identity. It gives you it gives you a lot, which I didn't realize how much it used to give me until I broke off. And then you know, even introducing myself was difficult. Like, so you're Mohaki? Yes. From where? My house. <laughs> Right. You know, before I could say with confidence, I work for this institution and this is my title. And, and that gave you an identity. And, and yeah. I didn't realize just how meaningful that was to me until I no longer had it. And what is so interesting? How did you, yes. So how did you navigate <laughs> that part with that identity? I'm very grateful because mm. I made the choice to leave employment. Mm. I think that a lot of people who abruptly, without having wanted to do that, have to leave. I, I, I imagine it must be like 10 times more tumultuous for them, right? I've, because I remember um, <laughs> even after leaving employment and going to the first meeting that I had to go to, I felt untethered. I felt like, wow, this is, this is strange. I've never been here often on my own accord, like I am somebody. Mm. But I think that that transition was instrumental in helping center me and helping me realize that I have not fundamentally changed. <laughs> right. All I don't have is a paycheck that comes regularly. Right. But the things that made me me are still the things that make me me. Right. The way I think about the world, the, the kind of human I am, the, the values that I hold, that has not changed. How long did it take you to get to that place? Like I said, it's a good thing it happened to me in my 40s. Mm -hmm. I admittedly had a couple of crutches that I used in order to, to slide into that. One of them being uh, my one word, you know. I I have a word that I use every year as my North Star. My faith was another crutch. Um, my family was was a crutch. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband who told me, it's okay, we'll, we'll figure this out. Right. The fact that I was still a mother, you know, before after employment, you know, my friends helped me navigate that and they, and they kept saying, you keep worrying about this thing 
but imagine I, I had a friend who used to tell me you're worried about whether you'll be busy and be able to fill your days there'll be days that you'll be like I don't have time and I used to be like how how do people generate productivity right. when they right. don't have an office to go to and it's actually happened you know that I'm now chasing my dream as as, as, as people say and my days, my days are full. My days are full doing a lot of things that I didn't know that you need to do in order to tell stories when you're running a business. Right. <laughs> like doing accounts and dealing with spreadsheets and you know, all, all sorts of things. But, but my days are full. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, I think the security in self was very pivotal for that. And I'm not saying that it was there throughout. Because mm -hmm. I've had moments like I shared earlier, right. where there was the anxiety of, oh my gosh, everything's out of control mm -hmm. last year. But coming back and remembering that I have, I'm fundamentally not different mm. from Mihaki two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Mm. I'm a woman who is trying to figure out what is the most fruitful path that I can have while I'm still here on this planet. That was me 20 years ago, that is me now. What that fruitful path looks like has been very different at different stages of my life. What I'm securing is that throughout, mm -hmm. I have always wanted to be um, that productive person. I think that I I suffer from <laughs> I suffer from one firstborn syndrome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tell me about it. I know it exactly. And mm -hmm. then um, the fact that I've lived a very easy life. Truth be told, parents had jobs throughout. I, I, I grew up very secure and I, I've had a good life. And the reason why I say I suffer from that is because one of the things that is always with me is that to whom much is given, much is expected. Yes. And so I always say, okay, God can't have done all of these things for me. Brought me into spaces where I have met you know, phenomenal people. Exposed me to things where I've walked away thinking, but oh, we can do better, we can do mm -hmm. different. Just for me to go and sit in my house and ponder on them. I think that what I'm trying to do is figure out, I'm not saying I have the answer, mm. but continually try to figure out, so then what is that thing that Muihaki can do, that no one else was put here on this earth to do, and am I doing it? What is the thing that Muihaki was? What's the one thing that you're meant to do? You're the only one who can do it. Exactly. And the, I'm the only one who can also do it my way. One of the fears that I had when we started, and you know, all of our um, stories are open access, is and it's happened. <laughs> we've been plagiarized, we've been copied, even by. You know, we saw our work in, in Nation one day, and it was somebody who called me. Was like, I'm so happy to see you guys are in the Nation, and we're like, we're in the Nation. Anyhow, we're not, we're not focusing on that. Mm. But there was a lot of fear about, and, and, and we do have copyright, and mm. you know, a lot of our um, stories are, are, are under IP. Okay, but. On the flip side, so I was very mad when that happened, but on the flip side, I was like, well, that means that those stories are getting out to all people that no right. could ever reach. Mm -hmm. And let me take comfort in that, because I'm not here to protect the story, I'm here to help the stories bloom. So a lot of it has also been, excuse me, being able to release ownership over some things and say, what is the bigger purpose here? So yes, people will steal our stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes, people will probably, you know, print our alphabet chart and sell it for a fraction of, of, of what it costs to produce it. Mm. But my goal is on are more people seeing it. It'll, it'll hurt, right? Mm. Because no one likes their stuff stolen. Right. But it's like, is the message reaching a place that I maybe could not have reached? 
And is there somebody being that story who means life will be transformed by it? And I'm not approached. Mm. I'm not here to be the gatekeeper. I am, you know, if you think about the difference between an Encyclopedia Britannica and Wikipedia, right? right? Encyclopedia Britannica had curators who were on point, checked everything, and well, I, we had volumes. Exactly, and, and and it was pay you would yes. pay as you add. It yes. was like I remember, you know, yeah. they were very very expensive. But Wikipedia is open to everybody, right? And Wikipedia is curated, and you know, everybody who has an interest in in that topic helps make it stronger. And I think that that's what we want for Hangua. That it it, it it blossoms because of the people who help give us information from the partnerships that we work with and for the spaces that it will go into, which is why it will always remain open access. Okay. And I always laugh because people ask me, but how do you make money from stories? And my, <laughs> it's such a killing question because guys are like, if you're not getting paid, how? How? Yes, no. yes. Your time. yeah. It's a lot of work. And so I say that, you know, if someone's running a children's home, if somebody is running a conservation project on the other days, do you ask them how they make money from that? Or do you just accept it as a public good? And are you just happy that somebody's doing it? So Isn't that, that our Kenyan thing? Because money is everything. Like you said, by any means necessary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I, I have learned also to be, you know, it's okay. The, 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 the reason why I'm doing this, no one can steal that from me. They can take the stories, they can take the information, they can repackage it, they can use it, but they can't take my why. Mm. And I honestly believe that I because God that. knows my why, yes, I will continue to be fruitful mm. and he will continue to take care of me. Yeah. Amen. I love that. And I, I think that's such a beautiful way to end this podcast that they can take your work, they can do whatever they do, but they can never take your why. And so for us, it's so important that we understand the why, why we are here Absolutely. and why we are here to navigate this world. Mm -hmm. Miyagi, it's been such a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miss Dorothy. Well, that's all today in No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Instagram, No Head Podcast. Catch you next time, my friend. And may you take time to understand your history. May you be intentional about the stories you tell your children and the young people around you. May you find your security in your story. Bye-bye.